nothing in the Bible. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. Andre can't wait to get rid of about 16 kids over there. <laughs> Kindergarten through third graders dismissed for junior church. That was a good one, Andre. I appreciate that. Keep me straight. Okay. I knew there was something else I had to do, but I couldn't put it there. But there is nothing in the Bible that says, this is a stage of marriage, this is a stage of marriage. There's nothing that concise in the Bible. But as you read the Bible from beginning to end, you do find that the Bible presents marriage in very different steps, in very different stages. It's kind of a a reasonable way of looking at things, an appropriate or normal way of looking at marriage. This is important because you do not look at marriage exactly the same right after you get married as you do when you've been married for a long time. A lot of things change in between. And when you're dealing with people, counseling with people, you need to take those things into consideration. And that's what I'm going to do today, even though I do believe the Bible absolutely gives us some guidelines in this direction and shows us some of these things. The stages that are referred to are approximate. There's nothing in stone here except for a few of them. And uh, there are special circumstances that take us out of the norm. For example, if there is extreme health issues, that's going to take you out of the norm. If there are no children in the marriage, that'll skew what I'm talking about slightly. If there's an early death of a spouse, that will skew things. And there could be numerous other things that take place that you go, well, that doesn't quite apply to me. I will tell you the principles apply across the board, and we'll come back to Christ in the end. Uh, We've sung about his love and, and those kinds of things. We will come back to that because all marriages, no matter what stage, no matter what I say up here, the focus ultimately needs to be on Jesus Christ. Any marriage without the foundation of Christ, without the focus on Christ, is in jeopardy. The way I describe it uh, in counseling is I look at it like a bicycle wheel. In the middle is the hub and the axle. That's Jesus Christ. You break the axle, you break the hub, everything is unstable. And then all the other things, the money, children, you name whatever it is, they're the spokes. And, of course, the outside, the tire is life in general. And uh, But we look at that. So the focus always is on Jesus Christ. You take your eyes off on Christ, all of these things are going to be skewed big time. And there are other things that will cause you to repeat parts of the the, uh, marriage uh, stages. And that is things like adultery or divorce or remarriage and things like that. Whatever the, it it doesn't matter what the cause was or or when it happened, there will be things that are a reset in there. So just keep that in mind as they go through this. But uh, these things, the reality of facing reality is my point this morning. Life and married life are not necessarily evil. Evil. Easy. They're not necessarily evil either. Boy, that was a slip of the tongue. Okay. But I've decided that I'm going to start before marriage. Actually, the Bible does. In Genesis chapter 29, verse 20... You find Jacob, who was a conniver and a deceiver. And um, 
Well, he got bested by Uncle Laban. Remember? He saw Rachel and he says, wow, Rachel looks good to me. I would like to marry her. Laban, being the shrewd character he was, says, you know what? I'll give you my daughter, but you have to work seven years for me. And this is what it says. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Whoa! He's like, seven years, man, it flew by like that. Because he was anticipating marrying Rachel. Now, you know he got twisted up here because uh, he didn't get the wife he wanted. And he went back and served another seven years. But that was before he was married. You see, before you're married, and those of you that can remember back before you were married, you'll understand some of these. And some of you aren't married, and I encourage you to listen. Is there is the anticipation of what is going to be the future. Our marriage is going to be the perfect one. And I can't wait. Look at that. Bree's got a smile about a mile wide right now. (laughs) I don't know if mom agrees with that or not, but anyway. Oh, she agrees. Okay. So um, anyway. But there's anticipation. I'm looking forward to something. That's the first part. The second part is there's an expectation of the fullness of love. That doesn't mean you don't love the person before you get married. But the Bible's very clear. There are certain things that are for marriage only. I'm not going into details. My Sunday school classes, we talk about these things in detail. I'm not doing that today in in a church service. But there's that expectation that the fullness of love will be a part of our lives. And if you don't believe that's biblical, the Old Testament word in particular for love means love in any kind of way you can think of. Emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical. It means all of them. There's that expectation that this is going to fulfill my life. There's some reality to that. Then there's the hope of proving your commitment. We can all look around in this world, marriage is in turmoil many places. But the expectation of someone that's not married is, I am going to show the world what a real marriage looks like. By the way, I hope you do. I hope you are the perfect example. I also know that you won't be. (laughs) I just know that. That's the way it is. But you have that forward-looking idea that I'm going to prove that I'm committed. I'm going to prove who I am. I'm going to prove my character. I'm going to show everybody else a godly marriage. The fourth thing is there's the optimism of leaving problems behind. Don't buy it. Okay, because you may not like living at home. You may not like being single. You may not like living with brothers and sisters or your circumstances. And when I get married, all my problems are solved. I guarantee you two things. Number one, you take your problems with you. So you're going to take them with you. And the other problem, the other problem is the person you're marrying isn't any more perfect than you are. So now you've got two sets of them. I'm not discouraging you from getting married, understand. It's the God's way of dealing with things. But there's that optimism that we will not have the problems other people have had. 
And we're going to, again, be that example where everything is just hunky-dory and we move forward and it's going to be great. And it's the looking forward. Do you notice every one of them? Anticipation, expectation, hope, optimism, and looking forward. I have done marriage count, premarital counseling for 32 years now, and I've yet to have one couple say to me before they were married during premarital counseling, you know what, we're going to get married, but we don't expect this to work. I've never heard that yet. I don't expect to ever hear that. And I tell them, if you're going in here and you're not 100% in, don't even bother. Don't, don't waste my time, don't waste your time, don't mess your life up. Because... There is a real, I put it this way, I'm married 45 years. That, I know, I only look 44, but <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, my wife looks 44. But uh, you know what? You look forward to that, and you want those things, and you, you just expect that there's going to be a lot of good. And I am glad I'm married. I wouldn't want it any other way. And I can remember those days. I just can't wait to get married. I wasn't all for the, the pomp and stance and all that kind of stuff, all the, all the ceremony. I just said, show, tell me when to show up, tell me when to say I do, and I'll say I do, and it's over with. That would have been good with me. But uh, most women don't look at it that way, and neither do mothers and other family members. But then there's the honeymoon stage. So the marriage takes place. And the second uh, stage is the honeymoon. It can go up to a year. It can be a little less, a little more. all depends what the situation is. But uh, there is a whole new life. The fascination of newness. You know what that's like. You get a new car, a new house, a new set, pet, uh, a new set of clothing, or new shoes, or a new toy, or whatever it is, and and it's just fabulous, and it's shiny, and it's bright, and it's new, and it's exciting. Nothing wrong with that. Guess what? Marriage is very much that way. There's a fascination of something new in your life you never had it before, but now you have it. It's great. And it's a good way to start. I hope you all started that way. But it's also the sensation of being in love. Now, I'm not saying that any of these kinds of love didn't exist before or after. They do. But it's that emotional connection. The word phileo is one of the Greek words in the the Bible for love. And it means a reciprocal love. You do something good for your spouse, something nice for your spouse, and they return it. There's nothing wrong with that kind of love. It's what best friends do. It's a relational kind of thing. And so you're married and you have this newness, and it's just like, I can't do enough for the other person. I used to tell my wife she spoiled rotten, and she'd turn around and look at me and say, look who's talking. And I had to agree with her. But that's the newness kind of thing and the sensation, There's just the emotions. And then there's the learning to leave home and family and security. That was not always easy. I have had numerous young ladies say to me, my husband, they're just married for a short while. My problem with my husband is he still thinks he's single. So he wants to go and do all those Sports things and all those things with his friends that he always did. And he kind of forgets about me. 
I've also heard young men say it this way. Every time we have a little bit of a problem, she goes running to mama. You know, she hasn't cut the apron strings. There is a period of time, a stage, where you have to learn you're in a whole new realm. You are in a new family unit. The husband being the head, the wife being the supporter of the head, both working together for the good of both and the detriment of neither. You'll hear that in my wedding ceremonies. But it's learning to leave and cleave is what the Bible calls it in Genesis. Man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Leaving and cleaving. Sometimes that's a hard thing to do. And then there is the overlooking of problems. doesn't mean in the honeymoon stage, and that's kind of where it all comes from. In the honeymoon stage, there are problems. There always are. There's the adjustments and things like that. But you kind of overlook the problems. I'm not going to get into detail, detail how that works. Uh, but you kind of go over top of them and you don't let them drag you down. And you just move on. And um, you're just so in love that you just do that. And the last one kind of fits with that. And that is the physical and the sensual attraction to each other. And it just overwhelms the problems and you go, yeah, we have problems, but we got each other. Isn't that wonderful? That's the honeymoon stage. By the way, nothing wrong with that. It's great. Anybody disagree the honeymoon stage is bad? Okay, good. I was right. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Anyway, then there's the adjustment stage. This is after the fascination of newness wears off. And you now have to look at a lot more reality. By this time in the adjustment stage, sort of two to four, five years, give or take, uh, in that time frame, it's not unusual for a child or two to come on the scene. And uh, that's even more adjustment probably than getting married um, and at least that's what I found out. Uh, we no longer could go to church on a motorcycle. And my wife said, after the fourth one, she says, uh, you know what? I don't want to raise four kids as a widow. Get rid of the motorcycle. And we said, okay, well, I'll get rid of the motorcycle. But after the kids are gone, I'm going to get one. She agreed. Now I realize my bones are too brittle. I'm not getting one. So, um, and I haven't. I just play with tractors now. But the point is, there are adjustments. Every area of life is somewhat different. In fact is, in this adjustment period, I believe 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 would fit very well. It says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. King James says, according to knowledge. It's gnosko in Greek, which means experientially. My way of putting it is this. You may have heard me say this before. But husbands, you need to, during at least this time and all the time, by the way, you'll never get this right um, until the end. But uh, you need to find out what makes your wife tick and what ticks her off. You need to be a student of your wife so you know how to act. Guys, we don't know how to act. Anybody disagree? Okay, see, man, this is a great audience. Oh. <laughs> Well, one guy knows how to act. We'll talk to him afterwards. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, but also, on the other hand, in Titus chapter 2, it says the older women are to teach the younger women 
how to love their husbands and how to love their children. Guess what? None of us came into this world knowing from the inside how to treat other people. That's why your mom said, you know, be polite, say yes, say please, uh, you know, thank you and all those things. We don't come into the world knowing those things. We need to be taught. Husbands need to be students of their wives, and wives need to be students of other older women who can help them through this adjustment time. I believe it fits right there pretty well. It's learning how to fit and work together. The, the, easy, the, the overlooking things is gone. We're in this for the long run now. How do we work together? Our gifts, our talents, our abilities, uh, our likes and dislikes. How do we make those all work together? That's the adjustment. I encourage you, if you're not married yet or you're young married, deal with those things now because when children come in, you will do this again. It rearranges life. Amen? I'm all for children. But I'm going to tell you, I, I wrote in my notes here, Children do not make a, good, a bad marriage good. They probably cause more problems. But if you have a good marriage and you've learned to work and fit together, children kind of complete that marriage and it's kind of cool. That's how it works. Third one, it establishes the actions of love. This is more than just feelings. Agape love is when I make choices to put the other person above myself. And it requires me to make choices. To put the welfare, the good, the well-being of the other person above my self-centered or selfish concerns. That's what the word means. It's the word that is used in for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's about giving unconditionally. And then the third one is it tests your commitment. Reality sets in. Wow, I didn't know it was going to cost this much. I didn't know it was this much work. I didn't know that... You still don't know what a wash hamper is. You still don't know how to park a car. You name it, you go down the list of all these things that you realize, I overlooked that for now, but all of a sudden now it's a little bit irritating. That's the adjustment stage. And it tests your commitment and reality absolutely sets in so that you either deal with this or you're going to crash and burn. The fourth one is you find the unresolvable issues. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what mine are or phase are, but you know what they are. You get to the point where you realize my husband or my wife will never agree with me on this. And you have to make the choice that you're not going to allow that to control your life or your marriage. It just gets to that point. And it's just, it is what it is. And it's not, we're not talking about moral issues or something that's ethical. We're talking about those things that just, whew, the old proverbial burr under the saddle. And then you realize, you know what? And I say this in counseling, is just remember, this is the person you chose to marry. You pretty much knew who they were when you married them, but you overlooked this. Now reality has come in. And a lot of times, and I will tell you younger people, whatever you do, do not get married to somebody you do not know. 
and get second opinions and third opinions. The people who love and care about you and love and care about them, talk to them. Let them, let them give you some information. You're probably not going to like everything you hear. But if you don't deal with it earlier, you will get to this point. And every marriage has unresolvable. You just decide, we're never going to agree, but we're not going to be disagreeable about that. And then there's the emotions of attraction. I believe a lot of that comes in with children. Think about this. There were emotions when you get married. No doubt about that. But when children come in, there's a whole new set of new emotions that come in. And uh, you love that child totally unconditional. That child came into this world because of the two of you. And uh, that child didn't have a choice. You now have to reach out in ways you never reached out to someone before. You know, adults can make decisions and you can butt heads and agree to disagree and forgive each other and confess and, and communicate and get things worked out. Child doesn't work that way. There's a lot of emotions that come in. That's the adjustment stage. And that's somewhere two to, two to five years, children have started to come in the situation. And then there's the comfortable stage, and that's what I call it. Um, this is probably from five years to the children are gone. And in that, you should be at the point where you're actually a mature human being. For men, it's at least 35 years old before we grow up. Some of us never get that far, but uh, it should be in that. But you've learned to work together. You realize if we're going to make it, if this is going to be something that honors God and is good for us and our children, you have now learned that you need to work together or you're in big trouble, especially when children come along. Because if mom and dad disagree, you have children that have no clue as to what direction to go. And so you need to learn to work together. This is the time when husbands and wives say, you know what? We can now reach out to someone else, teach, uh, be a part of something at church, a small group, or reach out to our neighbors and, and do things. And we can work together for the glory of God and for the good of others. And it really brings us together. And we're, we're comfortable in doing that. Before that, you're a little hesitant to do those things. And then it's reaching out in love in ministry and children. You'll notice the word up there says sturge. I think that's how you pronounce it. It is the word that the Greeks use for an animal protecting its young. It's kinship love. It is blood is thicker than water type things. It's not, that's not exactly what it means, but that's the, the concept behind it. And you realize that we're in this together. And you realize that children become a part of the marriage, a part of the family, and you work together. I remember uh, during this stage, um, on a Sunday night occasionally, I would go to Grandpa Mulfair's house because he had had a stroke and couldn't get out anymore. And myself and our, our four children, we would go over there and we'd re- sing songs and we'd quote Bible verses and Bible stories and, and all of those kinds of things, reaching out and working together. That's the, the stage where we went backpacking together and uh, it tested our family bonds a few times. But you know what? It was that kind of thing. But you, you get comfortable and you're willing to move out 
from yourself. The third is the security and normalcy of commitment. You realize we've kind of made it. We, we made it over some of the rough spots. And now we're in a place where we, we feel more secure. This is also the time when people who do not continue to grow together, things blow apart. And I want to warn you, uh, you will have those times. I don't, you don't have to blow apart, but it can absolutely happen. You begin to live above the problems. You go, you know what? We have been solving problems for quite a while now, and we will handle this, and we will move on. It's very different than the ones before that. But we begin to live above the problem. How can you do that? Because you've got to know each other in a much better way, and you approach things in a much better way. And the last one is, there's that intellectual attraction. Sorry, but this is the time in life in this one here where you lose your hair, you start sagging a little, you lose muscle tone. You know, all of those things that were really, really attractive way back, yeah, they're not all they were cracked up to be. They were kind of fading. You know what? It's like, no, we're in this together. And yes, we are going to make it because it's more than emotion. It's more than physical attraction. We're in this and we're going to make the intellectual choices to work with each other, to build and, and to go forward. That's really cool. Now, this is the one I like. And in the first service, when Faye was sitting right down here, I said, Faye, this is the one we like, right? She said, absolutely. This is the one, and you see it on your paper, is when the kids have left. Here's what happens. You're back, and it's you again. The two of you. Now, if you haven't been working on your marriage all along, and I saw a cartoon one day of, of people that the, the uh, husband and wife who the child, last child had left, the husband puts down his paper and looks across the breakfast table and says, Who are you? Not a good place to be. But if you have been working on your marriage and working through these things all along, you come to the point where you go, Wow. We don't have to go at this time. We don't have to be home at this time because the kids have to get to, to bed so they're going to school tomorrow. Or we can just pick up and we decide we want to go out for supper tonight. We can do that. It's uh, just like back almost when you were dating or at least in the beginning before you had children. It's back there. But guess what? You're hopefully more mature. You know each other better. You've learned to get along. And so it's actually better than it was the first time that you could just spend time together. And it's a really unique time because it gives you the opportunity to reach out in ways that you never had before. It is also a time of the caring of love. Unfortunately, this part of life is when the heart starts to go, the kidneys don't work like they did, uh, you know, the arthritis sets in, the diabetes is flaring up. And, uh, you know, you might have some uh, frailties that you have to deal with, and you realize that you really do need to take care of each other. You don't deal, deal in taking care with kids anymore. Now you have to take care of each other. Some of you were there, and you realize that 
That's an important part. But you realize it's not the same as it was. You have to deal with those things. The third one is, it's the fulfillment of commitment. It's the one that it, around, you know, 25, 30, 40 years, you go, we made it! This world is not an easy place to keep a marriage together. But we made it. And, and you look back and you go, wow, we did it. We did it together. We survived and we beat the odds. It's pretty cool when you, when you think about that. But uh, the, the whole thing is that uh, we just simply need to move forward. This is the same time when grandchildren tend to come in. It's interesting that it says grandchildren are the crown of old men. And it also says, and I'm quoting a verse that I did before, but with a different emphasis. The older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands and love their children. You see, it's a time when you've got the time to do that. And you can say, I'm not an expert. But I do have experience. And so I should be able to reach out because of the commitment that we've had to each other. I got something to say. And I not only can quote scripture to somebody, but I can actually say, quote the scripture. Here's the principle. And by the way, here's one way we work through this and help somebody else. I don't believe God has ever done with us uh, in helping and reaching out. This is a a stage where you have that opportunity to do so. The fourth thing is, problems don't matter. (laughs) They don't matter anymore. You go, okay, we made it this far. Okay, we can can slide through to the end. You're not all worried. What if we don't get this solved? It's not that big a deal anymore. I'm not going to tell you you won't ever butt heads with your spouse. If Faye was here, she'd agree with that. Uh, You still might. But you don't look at it like I did. I remember the first time we had an argument. I'm like, ooh, I don't believe in divorce. I believe that we need to make it. We made a vow before God and before people till death do us part. I better deal with this. You don't have that mindset anymore. It's like, no, we made it through. And so problems are not the big deal. And it's the attraction of time. I visited with the Brants. Martha is in not really good shape at all. And just seeing the pain on, on Harold's face as his wife is basically non-responsive after, I believe it's 67 years of marriage or something like that. It's the attraction of time. You can't imagine yourself with somebody else. It's just that kind of attraction. It's a good attraction. Because it's stood the test of time. And you've, you've made it. And this one, and some of you know this, and I do not know this one. I've had to deal with this one with other people. This is a hard one. And it absolutely is a hard one. The lost stage. This is from when one spouse dies until your own demise. It's the grief of loss. I can honestly tell you, I don't know how to comfort someone who's lost their spouse after... 40, 50, 60 years. I don't know what to do except be there and listen. Because it's that hard. It, it's, it's, you have, they've been together as long as I am old or as long as you are old. It, it's hard to even imagine that. 
but it's reality. That's what I said. I, I always deal with reality and what's true. And this stage is a tough one because it really is. It says in Proverbs twenty twenty nine. it says, The honor of old men is their gray hair. You, you come down to that, and there are, according to the New Testament in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, there are widows indeed. These are real stages of life. When you look back and you, you have experience, and you now have come to the point that you can look back and say, there's not much I haven't seen. There's not much I haven't experienced. And unfortunately, some people experience this very early in life. It's a tough place to be. There's no doubt about it. And I'm not going to tell you I'm an expert. And I'm not even going to tell you I have lots of experience. Because this is one that's, that's just different than the rest. But that grieving process. We grieve over friends and relatives who have passed on, parents and those kinds of things. But the grieving of a spouse, especially at the end of a good marriage, is really difficult. There's the longing of love. It's missing the past. It's looking back and realizing, wow, I remember how we met. I remember what went on while we were dating and and what it was like when we first got married. My dad was in Korea when I was born. And um, after he passed away, my mom passed away first. And then my dad passed away. And... um, we started looking through all the boxes of old letters and stuff. Back there, there was no email, by the way. And letters took, sometimes, they, my mom said that she would get like three letters in one day, but they were written in all different days. And I have some of those letters. Some of those letters are actually about, hey, Paul, Paul Jr. was born today, you know? And, and that's pretty interesting because my, my dad didn't know it until a day later. You know, things like that, just really cool things. And my dad would talk occasionally about Korea. But after mom died, he was looking back. And to my uh, nephews, he would start talking about Korea. He never really talked to us about that. But it's looking back at the past, longing for the past. It's the pain of commitment. I have put my whole life into this person, into this relationship. And now it's gone. Wow, we get used to commitment. Commitment's a good thing, but it's tough. It's the pain, and this is a big one, it's the pain of loneliness. It is absolutely uh, indescribable pain and a hardship, but it's real. We have to understand that it could happen to anyone or all of us. And then there's the attraction of looking back. It's the, the thing we joke about it, and I'm getting there too, and I haven't even lost a spouse, but you can't remember what you ate for breakfast, but you can remember 20, 30, 40 years ago. And I remember talking to Grandpa Mulfair, and he would be telling stories about stuff that happened back when he was a young guy, and expected I know who he's talking about. I had no clue. Like, okay, Grandpa just needs to reminisce and look back, and I just listened, and it was interesting, and I learned a lot. I did that with my dad, after, especially after my mom died. He would just start talking. I'd just sit there and listen. Because what he, you're not talking so much about the future, but you're talking about what has happened. And you learn a whole lot of things. One of the things that I'm going to do at the end of the, the sermon here is I'm going to do an object lesson. I've never done this before. 
I'll probably never do it again. And there are a couple of people in this audience that are going to be absolutely surprised. Because I'm asking Rick and Sherry Hilton to come up front. And Rick, we lied through our teeth to you, unless you figured this out. But they have been married 30 years tomorrow. And as Sherry said to me, in the day we live in, 30 years is something to celebrate. And I said, you know what? We're going to make this an object lesson that I hope you never forget this service. And so what we're going to do is a renewal of vow. So you are friends and family. And some of you are surprised too, I assume. You don't know this either. Uh, but uh, there have been a lot of surprises. And I agree. Celebrate every year. And so tomorrow is 30 years. And uh, we are just going to have a renewal service. So you bear with and you are the witnesses that they're going to vow that this goes on for another however long. Okay. So this, this is your opportunity. He's not going anywhere. Okay. That's good because you're going to vow to that in a moment. Okay. Friends, family, and church family, we are gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to celebrate the 30-year marriage of Rick and Sherry. Marriage is an institution created by God, ordained for man's good and for God's glory, and to be held in honor by all. Honor means valuable by all. This sacred relationship is a living illustration of the union of Christ and His church. These two individuals are before us today, and they are living proof of that God's plan has been and continues to be the only one that works. Today, they will pledge to carry on their undying devotion and fidelity to each other. Rick, is it your desire to have Sherry as your wife for the rest of your life? And do you renew your commitment to love, honor, and cherish her according to the word of God? If so, answer, I will. I will. Sherry, is it your desire to have Rick as your husband for the rest of your life? And do you renew your commitment to love, respect, submit to him in the Lord in accordance with the word of God? If so, answer, I will. I will. To keep marriage God-honoring and beneficial to each spouse, much input and faith is so important that we need the instruction from the Word of God. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, and I'm just reading a couple of verses, In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor, value, as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. To sum it up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Thus ends reading 1 Peter chapter 3. Rick, Sherry is 
your faithful and loving wife. She has given to you her life and love. Your character and your conduct will provide for her great joy and happiness and will always keep her heart close to yours for the rest of your lives. I'd like you to repeat after me. I, Rick, renew my commitment to my wife, Sherry, to live together according to the will and word of God. I will love you, cherish you, honor and support you. Sorry, you're supposed to join hands. Sorry, I didn't do that. We didn't practice this, obviously. This is a surprise. Okay. <laughs> now I lost my place. Honor and support you in all the labors of life, in sickness and in health, in adversity and in prosperity, and will keep myself to you only as long as we both shall live. Sherry Rick is your loving and faithful husband. He looks to you for companionship, cheer, and encouragement. Others may forget him and lose confidence in him or might even turn away from him, but you need to remain beside him in all the struggles of life. I, Sherry, renew my commitment to my husband, Rick, to live together according to the will and word of God. I will love you, respect you, Submit to you in the Lord, and will be a helpmeet for you in all the labors of life, in sickness and in health, in adversity and in prosperity, and will keep myself to you only as long as we both shall live. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> Anyway, Rick and Sherry, your joys are doubled since the happiness of one is the ha also the happiness of the other. Your burdens are divided in half. As you share them, you divide the load. Never expect the perfection from each other that belongs to God alone. Be sure to minimize each other's weaknesses. Be swift to recognize and praise each other's strong points. Treat each other with patience and understanding. Share tears of tenderness in the tough times. Bring healing words to the hurts of life. In failure, hold on to each other and stretch out your hands to the Lord. Make sure that everything is done for the good of both and the detriment of neither. Never, ever take each other's love for granted. For as much as you, Rick, and you, Sherry, are committed to each other in holy marriage and have pledged your love to each other in the sight of God and in the presence of these witnesses, I therefore, as your pastor, remind you that only death is to end this marriage, continuing as one in all your temporal interests and goals, one in all the events and relationships of life, one in all your spiritual endeavors and ministries. It is with renewed commitment that I am happy to Present once again, Rick and Sherry Hilton. That's not it. You may kiss your bride of 30 years. Ah, come on, you got to do better than that. Okay. Thank you for participating.
I'll probably never do that again because it'll never be a surprise again. But I hope that you will never forget not only the commitment of marriage, but that marriage goes on and goes on. One last thing. You could go through all these stages and you could say, I'm doing pretty good. But you will always fail somewhere along the line. The focus where I started is always on Christ. You lose that one, you will botch the rest of it. A focus needs to be on Christ from the start to the very end. If you don't, uh, you, you have a problem in the making. You see, He is the one that died for us, sent Christ to die for us, I'm sorry. He is the one that's given us life. He is the one that designed marriage. He is the one that made us for each other. That we would be partners and companions and complete each other. He alone. But He alone is sufficient. He alone is the one that gives all the provisions, the strength and the wisdom we need through all of these things. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Father, thank you so much that we could be reminded once again, yesterday at a, at a, a wedding that took place, today as we looked at the Word of God and a renewal. Lord, you're a great God. You, you provided above and beyond what any of us could have ever thought. And the world tries to skew these things, but you have made it from the very beginning that one man and one woman should be together and grow together, and raise children together, and work together, and show in a very tangible way the union of Christ and the church. Lord, I pray that we would be challenged today to wherever we are, whatever our circumstance is, that we from here out would see these things and remember that we need to keep our focus first on Christ and then on each other, that that love would continue to the end of our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.